Jeff, what does jazz music have to do with cars? I don't know, Shuko, but I feel like I'm getting set up for a joke. No, I'm I'm serious. In a way, this type of free jazz is like a gas-driven car with an internal combustion engine. Whereas the electric vehicle sounds more like this. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Well, you will see. Listeners, welcome to this episode of From Know How to Wow, where we'll talk about how car development is changing and what happened when Bosch engineers tried to build their own electric vehicle prototype from scratch with all Bosch components in new ways of cooperation with their partners. You can have a lot of fun with this vehicle. Yes, Eric. We'll also have to talk about your music choices, Shuko. <sighs> <laughs> From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Shuko, I have to say, it is absolutely wonderful to finally have met you in person. I know. I was very excited for today. So maybe listeners, just as a reminder, Jeff normally sits in the US and I sit in Germany. But today is the day we finally managed to meet face-to-face -face in Feuerbach in Stuttgart. Yeah, that's right. We're here at the IT campus and everyone is looking at us outside of our respective recording rooms, <laughs> like what is going on with these people? But it's really cool. It's so nice to see you, Shuka. Likewise. Yes. <laughs> Two episodes ago, I talked a lot about my passion for motorcycles, right? And if I remember well, Jeff, you said that you'd rather drive a car. Absolutely. So... Maybe a first question, what car do you drive? Uh, so at my house, uh, we have a, an American SUV, which I'm using for trips to the hardware store and driving my dog Crypto around. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big car. Um, but I actually opted for a model with a smaller engine in it to help with the fuel efficiency. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I did that, given the price increases over the last <laughs> yes. year. Um, so that, that ended up being a good call. And then we also have an EV. Uh, which my wife uses for daily commuting. Um, and honestly, it also doubles as my sports car because that thing is really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of things that you just told me don't really make sense if your car is actually electric. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, we don't necessarily link electric cars to like sports cars, for example. Yeah, I'm not terribly worried about the fuel efficiency of my EV. <laughs> uh, but let's stick with combustion engines for a minute. Um, here's another Bosch engineer talking about what's important in a car. So he's working in the systems engineering department, and his name is Eric Görres. If you ask me as an engineer, technically, of course, it's about efficiency. It's about getting combustion engines as clean and as good as possible. If you ask me as a petrol head, it's about revving, it's about displacement, it's about noise, it's about emotions and vibrations that you feel and uh, the shiver that you get. <laughs> yes. I can identify with that in cars. <laughs> Uh, which, which, Shuko, I guess that's that's your your affinity for motorcycles, also, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, this is the big question: What happens when we switch to electric? 
switching to electric vehicle changes a lot. So the entire powertrain with all its add-ons like gearbox, like uh, all the fuel system, the exhaust system with all its monitoring and, and, and goodies is all ripped out and you replace all this by one electric motor or several electric motors. If you take the perspective of the driver or of the, the customer, you change this emotional link to your car and maybe you're even emotionally linked to the brand you're driving since decades. And now you're driving a car which doesn't deliver the noise, which doesn't deliver the, the emotional value of a combustion engine. That's because, simply said, all electric motors are yeah, more or less the same. You don't really feel a difference. Oh, so you have a quite smooth uh, torque curve. You, you have a appropriate power in typical electric cars. So there isn't much of a differentiation anymore in, in those vehicles. It's not that distinctive anymore. And you know, questions like how much horsepower does your car have will totally become obsolete because all electric cars will be sufficiently motorized. And so that's good news for drivers. And it sounds like fewer headaches for engineers who build the cars. But on the other hand, I can see where that's actually a brand problem mm -hmm. because they're, they're effectively losing a lot of mechanisms for their brand identity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's a challenge for manufacturers, or as we call them, OEMs, Original Equipment Manufacturers. And that's where OEMs need to reshift their focus and focus on, on things that still deliver the, the DNA, whether it's uh, ride comfort and safety, whether it's a very specific characteristic in automated or assisted driving functionalities, whether it's just the interior, which becomes more and more important, big screens, fancy connectivity. So you need to, you need to find your purpose again in this field. At the same time, there are other additional pressures on OEMs or manufacturers. They face new competition from new players in the market, while regulators demand compliance with new climate goals. Meanwhile, car development cycles also become shorter, and new models need to be released faster. And all of this comes together to keep the engineers very busy. <laughs> yes, but as manufacturers shift engineers towards addressing these problems, they also have to develop electric vehicles, um, which are more complex than combustion engine cars. Now, wait, I thought it was the other way around. Uh, electric motors are much simpler than gasoline motors, right? Yain. Mm, uh, so the motors themselves, yain. yes. But we have to talk about the overall system, and they're not so much. Eric and a group of other Bosch engineers have no illusion about how complex electric vehicle systems are. But, you know, as Bosch engineers do, they accepted the challenge. If you look into a very basic feature like a recuperative braking, where you need to work together with the standard hydraulic braking system and you want to recuperate as much electric energy as possible, you're already talking cross-domain. You're already working on cross-domain solutions. So components that previously worked pretty much isolated, now you absolutely need them to work well together. Mm -hmm. Because of the distinctive domains that we previously had, acceleration, braking, steering, and so on, mm -hmm. the lines between them today are getting blurred. And now we get back to what I was talking about with the jazz. This is where the music analogy comes in. Take a jazz band. It sounds like each musician is, you know, doing their own thing. And it sounds a little bit wild. But when they're playing together, the result is a listenable song. 
but they're still very much individualistic, if you kind of know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to translate that a little bit, <laughs> that's the combustion engine world. Exactly. Each component is doing its thing, and it's working very well, mm -hmm. and the car is moving forward, and it works great. Mm -hmm. But so far, there's been no necessity for components necessarily to interact with each other beyond their domain boundaries. Exactly what you're saying. So they're not necessarily in unison. And uh, it can all sound, yeah, a little off sometimes. But now Eric wants to put a songbook in front of all of them to make sure that they play together nicely. And this creates a totally new music experience where the musicians support each other. Maybe you use the bass as a percussive instrument. Or use the motor to brake and charge the battery. What does that mean for Eric then? We need to think cross-domain. We need to think more on vehicle level and not on component level. And that's, that's a, I would say, absolutely a challenge. It's a challenge because this different type of thinking of looking at a car and its components and doing feature-based development, well, it, it has consequences. It changes a lot of things for Bosch as a supplier within the car industry. It impacts the relationship between suppliers and manufacturers. We need to step in at an earlier phase of the vehicle development. Typically, an OEM would develop its architecture and lots of the specifications and then ask the suppliers to provide components accordingly to the spec. But if we are providing systems, it's, let's say, straightforward to step in in an earlier stage of this development and walking this way with the OEMs in this transition towards, let's say, more harmonized, more centralized architectures, working together on a different level also regarding functional safety and, and, and security topics, which become more and more important in future vehicle platforms. So can we talk about what Eric means by system as opposed to components. So practically, a system is a package of components, and a little more than that. So the best example for system integration would be a set of vehicle motion components. It's the propulsion of a vehicle, it's the stability, braking and safety of the vehicle, and it's also, let's say, the lateral movement, so the steering of a vehicle, and also core computing functionality. Right. Those are all topics in which Bosch has a lot of know-how. We have a lot of experience in this field, and the components that do this are well-established in the market. So why not put them all together, make one system which is beneficial for startups and for traditional OEMs to make their life easier? I would say you can sum it up. In this case, make a motion simple. So motion, check, solved. So manufacturers can focus on the stuff that differentiates them from their competition and let the system integration be done by partners and suppliers. Sounds like a good deal. So what's the catch? The first challenge was to think as an OEM. So to think from the entire vehicle perspective and not to think based on components and then move up into the functionality. But we had to think more top down. Say, okay, what's, what's the overall purpose of the vehicle? What's the driving behavior? What are the basic functionalities that the OEM wants to provide to its end customer? And then derive down what do we need to provide those functionalities? 
which interconnections will we need, which algorithms, which control loops will we need to make this possible. And you start thinking at, a, at an entire different level of the vehicle system. Fortunately, there are, there are very clever methodologies supporting this. So if you're looking into, into systems engineering approaches like model-based system engineering, then you are very much easily able to do so. Basically, it's a very different mindset whether you build a component or a system. Right. Whether you consider the whole thing or focus on one element of it. And Bosch, as a supplier of components, has always done the latter. Integrating them into one system would normally be the job of a manufacturer. To orchestrate the components they buy from suppliers and integrate them in their vehicle system. You need to think as an OEM. You need to learn all the pain points, you need to learn this basic work that OEMs are doing, grab all the bits and pieces we are typically providing individually to the OEMs and start to learn this job of integration. And this was, this was a huge task. Turns out keeping a jazz band together, it's pretty hard. So, you know, how do you learn to think like a manufacturer? And here I'm going to pass the ball over to you, Jeff. Well, the best way would be to try and build a car yourself. And that is exactly what they did. The idea was that we want to properly understand what it means for an OEM to build a car with our components. And to do that, we need to walk in their shoes. And to walk in their shoes, we decided to build a prototype. This is Dieter Schwartzmann, who led the cross-divisional team that dared to build a prototype from scratch. Not to turn it into a product, but to switch perspectives and learn how to build it. They wanted to build not just any prototype, but an all Bosch prototype. Well, okay, <laughs> not all Bosch. Uh, we don't make everything you need to build a car. Fortunately, they had strong partners like Bentele, a German automotive technology manufacturer, and Vibercrustic, a leading automotive noise, vibration, and harshness expert. Without their expertise, they would not have been able to build this prototype. But they wanted to use as many Bosch components as possible. Which had not been done in this way before. No one has ever asked us to build all of our components into a single car. And you'd think it should be kind of easy, right? I mean, everything from the same supplier, so they should work together seamlessly. Yeah, you would think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> as is often the case in engineering, it sounds easier than it is. In a nutshell, the problem is your jazz band issue. If they're too individualistic and don't really form a band, then you need to rethink the setup and try new ways. And that's what Dieter and his team were faced with. The first thing, of course, when you build a prototype, you have to think about how does it all fit together? They call it packaging. And you want to do it in a smart way so that not only do you have a trunk, but also an appropriately sized frunk. So you learn a lot about your component sizing. Where could the component be bigger? Where should it not be bigger or even smaller? In which direction? Which direction affects what in the whole car architecture? Let me give you an example. So our e-axle should not be higher. If it would be higher, we would have a bulge in the trunk or in the trunk, right? It would stick out and you would have to raise the whole trunk bed to have it flat. So nobody wants that. So we know height is critical, but length in the X direction, so in the car forward direction, is not critical at all. So we could use that. 
you could use that, for example, to place a connector. That's also something Dieter says they learned. Where to best place connectors, holders, and so on, and how to minimize the amount of cables, hoses, and screws. Stuff like that you learn first. Then comes the software. That sounds like a huge issue on its own. Now, keep in mind, this is the first time that they tackle cross-domain system challenges. Yeah. You know, it means trying to make things work together that never really worked this way before. Wow. Yes. You know, there's not only one good way to produce software. There are many good ways to produce software. So, if these components were a band, going back to our band analogy... It sounds like they haven't even agreed what type of music they want to play. They need a band leader who makes some executive decisions. In a perfect world, you would have the software of all control units on a single computer, and you could have a single expert responsible for that, and he could do hot changes for prototype reasons. That's not possible. We as a prototype team never could do software check across components. One of the biggest obstacles they faced within the software challenges was encryption, or rather, non-encryption. Everybody assumed we will have the most simple way of communicating, which is a CAN bus, non-encrypted, super easy. Because this is a prototype, it's less likely that someone is going to attempt to hack the prototype on a testing site. So when you're developing, unencrypted communication makes everything much easier. But one component simply wasn't having it. It basically said, I'm safety critical, and I'm only communicating securely. I would say uh, learning from this would be to have some kind of Bosch norm that says, if you're still in a prototype stage this early, do not have encrypted communication, right? Send it plainly, because it will save us so much time. I think that cost us like three months of delay. Like, that was huge. That was a huge pain just to find out what's going on and then trying to get that alleviated and then finally giving up and asking everybody else who did the smart thing not to encrypt, to encrypt because uh, one component just flat out refused. God, I feel his pain because it must be so frustrating to waste so much time on so- and energy, actually, on something unnecessary like that. I absolutely have heard this thing before. <laughs> Remember, I am in the security and compliance area, so this is you know kind of my bread and butter. Uh, but Dieter admits that that he got frustrated sometime, and this is normal. Um, but but he's a problem solver, like our all of our Bosch engineers, and he and his team wanted to learn. And to learn, there was a lot of issues which you never had to wrestle with when developing a single component. You have interconnection issues that are completely new. Right? Then you have bus delays and you need to deal with that, latencies and stuff like that, that only OEMs see. Latencies. Mm, what, what does he mean by that? Wonderful segue, Shuko. <laughs> and this is perfect for a deep dive example. So Dieter makes the example of a pressure sensor in the thermal system of a car. And that sensor provides the control unit with a new pressure value every millisecond over a bus system. And this control unit then is responsible for controlling the thermal system. Well, the thing is, a thermal system is a slow system. Of course, when you turn up the heat, it obviously takes a while until the temperature reaches the desired value. Yes, that's exactly right. But 
But what do you do then with all the values from the pressure sensor that come in in the meantime? Because remember, we're talking about a thousand values per second. Wow. Now, what happens if you take from that one millisecond signal only every 100th value? What happens is called aliasing. So actually, by taking too few values, you have just very likely destroyed your signal because you're not taking every value. And you should be taking every value and then low-pass filtering that until you feed it to the controller that works in, I don't know, let's say 100 milliseconds or 200. So this is something that happens a lot. Ah, uh, yes. Aliasing is everywhere, isn't it? I think I mostly know it from anti-aliasing effects, which can smooth edges in images, for example. You can also have aliasing in audio, which is great if you happen to talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> so, Steffi, our producer, can you play for us the original sound, please? And now, the same sound, but a lower sampling frequency. This is the moment for our sound engineer, Sylvan. <laughs> you see, the sound gets skewed, and therefore the signal is useless. Communication in the same signal speed is very important. So it's very important that one part of software, a control unit, knows what is the bandwidth that I'm getting from this other part. Because if this is done wrong, you have completely destroyed your signal and you cannot recover it. And it's so easy to destroy a signal. I feel like we're deep into thinking like an OEM at this point. I'm starting to get a sense of what kind of headache it is for them to combine different components in a car and really get them to work together. Dieter and his team definitely succeeded in getting into the manufacturer's mindset. And they succeeded in practice also. They built not one, but two functioning electric vehicle prototypes. They're inspired by SUVs you can find on the market. Mm -hmm. You know, a 85 kilowatt hours battery, accelerate to 100 kilometers per hour in less than five seconds. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, they have nothing in common with series production SUVs because everything was built from scratch. In one car, we just use the frame and the suspension and build a roll cage around that. So that's basically a driving aluminum frame with a roll cage, but with the same weight. So we put additional weight on the car so we have the same weight, the same weight balance. We did that to get a quick idea of what we're facing. So I've actually seen this car, and it is wild. Um, it's like a go-kart with two race seats mounted on it. And unfortunately, I've never gotten to drive it, but it looks like a fun thing to drive. It actually sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, and what they call this is the rolling chassis. Also, it does look more like an actual car. Mm -hmm. So for the next generation, the team wanted to build something a little more commercial looking. I guess to demonstrate that this is more than just an experiment, um, that they're really putting a lot of effort into it. Mm -hmm. Also, some automation issues or HVAC things that you can only test when you have the enclosed car. That's as close to the real thing as possible. Mm -hmm. In the second car, we actually used the shell of an existing car. And so we bought that car and it was a two liter diesel car. And we basically, we had a company do that, of course. So they sawed everything away that is meaningful for the structure. So no underfloor, we used our underfloor. 
no front crash zone. We used our front crash zone, our back crash zone. So basically it looks like a standard car, but it's nothing standard about that. As soon as you open the hood, you see not much left. So I've actually seen this car as well. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it must be one of the most extreme car moddings that I've ever seen. Um, but unfortunately, this one as well, I haven't been able to drive. So maybe the big question, how well does it drive? It drives great. If I sit you in that prototype and you drive it around a handling track, you will love it. <laughs> you wouldn't think you're driving a prototype anymore. You can hear that Dieter and his team are really proud of this, especially the team of engineers. Job done, right? Well, the thing about <laughs> engineers is they're very, they're not really, they're not really ready to say we did it. If you are a good engineer and you've built something, when you're done building it, you immediately know what you could do better. <laughs> That's the curse of being an engineer. Yes, it is. So now I look at what we've built and I'm very proud of what everybody did, but we all know what we now want to improve because we're engineers. So this is not being negative. This is being <laughs> embracing our, our jobs, right? This is what engineers should do. Engineers should say, this is not optimal. Here's how you would improve it. Yeah, Dieter, I absolutely could not have said that better myself. We Boschlers do tend to be perfectionists. Word. But of course, it, it's an iterative process. And the rolling chassis project leads to improved Bosch components and also entirely new components ready for electric vehicles. So Eric is also very impressed with the work of Dieter's team. Um, he says the prototype cars have amazing agility. Um, and he illustrates how manufacturers could now take this technology and adjust it to their taste to create their electric vehicle brand identity. It's very much astonishing what you can do with let's say, just some simple calibration. So if you recalibrate the accelerator pedal, you can either have a very, very smooth, very elegant drive, but of course you can also switch it into a more sportier way where the accelerator pedal becomes very aggressive and the, the braking pedal will have a, a high pressure point very much at the beginning. So you can uh, brake very late and very aggressively while cornering. So those are all the let's say, the different flavors of the vehicle that we can cover. And that's very astonishing to be able to provide this with one setup. That's one way a manufacturer can then control what the vehicle feels like to the driver, and not just in theory. Because one product that came out of the rolling chassis project is the advanced driving module, which is exactly that package solution that they set out to create, with all the Bosch components you need to make an electric vehicle move. So a braking system according to the specifications or the requirements of the vehicle, an electric drive unit. So as Bosch, we're talking about something like an e-axle, which is an electric motor, uh, a gearbox and the inverter already connected to it. We talk about a steering system and then a vehicle control unit, you would say. So the brain of this setup. And this is what we call an advanced driving module because it deals with the entire domain of vehicle motion. So in longitudinal and in lateral way and covers everything that you need to drive the vehicle. So whether I'm an established manufacturer or a startup, I could buy the complete advanced driving module or some selected vehicle dynamic features. And I don't need to deal with all the pains that Dieter described in his prototyping process. And that was the original idea. 
to respond to this transformation by supporting manufacturers early on in car development. They took some of the complexity out of building electric vehicles. What you get is a band with well-tuned instruments that all play in unison. So, you know, that's really great. But all of this also has major implications on how we operate, how people at Bosch, for instance, work. Everybody needs to be clear that he's working on the entire vehicle. So you see, just like the components have to work together, the engineers have to collaborate as well. That's true. And in his team working on the rolling chassis, Dieter brought together engineers from all the different business units at Bosch that are responsible for the different product domains. This separation made sense in a world of combustion engines. You know, the people working on braking systems didn't necessarily need to know much about folks working on the powertrain. Well, that's no longer true. You, you drove an EV, right? And you know that when you get off the gas, it starts recuperating. It starts engine braking. And it can brake very hard just getting off the gas pedal. And then when you actually put your foot on the brake pedal, you want to brake even harder. Well, it turns out that recuperation with electric drives is the responsibility of one business unit. And braking with hydraulic brakes is the responsibility of a second business unit. So one braking scenario, you are driving, you take your foot off the gas. I shouldn't say gas, so the accelerator pedal. So you, you take your foot off, I'm old. You take your foot off the accelerator pedal and you put your foot on the brake pedal and start pressing the brake. The software responsibility switches from one business unit from Bosch to another business unit in a completely different control unit and completely different way of producing software. I really love, I really love how wild his voice is and mm. how excited he is about the world of electric vehicles. That's so cool. And you can also hear how everything is so much more interconnected. So recuperation and braking is the most popular example, uh, like we said before. But the same is true for the thermal system that now, for instance, also has to heat and cool the battery. So the rolling chassis project not only demonstrated how components can play well together, but also how we can make sure that all the engineers are on the same page and sing the same song. Exactly. And, and they, they should not sit separated in their studios and, and have their songbook uh, laying in front of them because there needs to be somebody who makes sure that all the songbooks are, are, are the same or you get the same results. I know what we're doing right now. I feel like that was a shot. <laughs> <laughs> if you put them all together and uh, give them the, the same purpose, the same focus, the same vision about your vehicle, the same goal about your engineering, then you get the product that you want. And this teamwork, this cross-domain, cross-business unit teamwork is, I think, a huge step forward. This is not a transformation that Bosch goes through all by ourselves. It's happening in the entire industry. And what Eric is concerned with is keeping in sync with our clients and partners. Everybody needs to transform somewhat in sync to keep our relationship working. And the relationships themselves change as well. Because we are more and more talking with OEMs on the level of a complete vehicle, of vehicle architectures, of vehicle systems, and not only on subsystems or component level anymore. 
the whole conversation changes. When you change your thinking and your view from a strong focus on individual components to the electric vehicle as a whole. Making this happen, though, is a huge task. Um, Bosch is a giant company with some, what, 400,000 employees? Yep. And shifting their thinking is, you know, it's not going to be easy. But, and this is what Eric says, it could be very rewarding in that it opens avenues for entirely new ways of doing things, interconnecting even more components. And you uh, can develop new features, new functionalities that we might not be even thinking about. You might consider have your steering system support your active safety system, or you might consider the recuperation capabilities of your electric drive system assisting the deceleration in an emergency braking and, and such topics. Let's say the repertoire of this ensemble might grow when you start thinking about what you can achieve as a group. I, I <laughs> couldn't agree more, but just please, no more free jazz. <laughs> but... Jeff, be open to new ideas. I think that's the that's the real takeaway for me from this episode. You know, electrifying cars leads to huge shifts not only in how cars are being developed and built and the role their software plays, but also how the companies making them are structured. Yeah, I think I really was not fully aware to what extent this approach transforms the industry. But also, now I really want to get my hands on one of these electric SUVs with all these Bosch components. I'm sure you'll drive an electric car before I get to drive an electric motorcycle, but who knows, I might beat you to the punch. <laughs> I, think, I think so. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. So, dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. And if so, please leave us a review. Come back next month anyway, when we'll talk about a pretty clever device called the Bosch Fresh Up. Sounds good to me. Made in space. I like it. <laughs>